1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering. We thought we'd try something new. Clark Hilton is engineering. Okay, he did it yesterday and the day before, but we're trying to in- interject a little excitement into the program, a little anticipation. And our way of doing that, by announcing that Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing, and we're glad to have you with us this afternoon. I want to remind you that today, one in the first, one in the second hour of today's program, we're going to be giving away uh, tickets, family four packs of tickets to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. This is Christmas in, well, July, if you subtract a few days. Um, anyway, we have a family four-pack of tickets to Portland's Singing Christmas Tree at the Keller Auditorium. Uh, the Singing Christmas Tree will be performing November 24th through December 3rd, straddling the two weekends, having a few days in the middle uh, that are um, are free. And I should mention, you have until the 14th to take advantage of the lowest ticket prices of the season. So if you're planning on attending the Singing Christmas Tree, if you're thinking about it, if you'd like to invite others to attend and you want to take advantage of uh, some discount prices, let me encourage you to go to singingchristmastree.org. Ticket prices range from twenty to sixty dollars and that's before the discount. So avail yourself of a little savings and then you can buy Clark a little something for Christmas. I think that would be
3: That would be really nice. Go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You can call me for some suggestions. <laughs> I have a few things in mind. Anyway, we'll be doing that um this and the next hour. So listen up for your opportunity. To phone in to win. So how are you doing, Clark? Pretty well today. Now, I know the temperatures are cooling off. Are you uh, mm. pretty happy with that? Mm. I don't. I've gotten so used to
3: it now after dealing with it that, no, the temperatures don't bother me. I'm glad that this uh, kind of this smoky, hazy air should be gone by tomorrow.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know that kept us from reaching the record temperatures that had been anticipated. Yeah, but boy, but it'll it's be, bad. Yeah, it'll be nice to have that gone. It's not the pristine skies that we're used to. Kind of
3: mixed with smog here in Portland area. Yeah, yeah. I realized I've been driving home with the windows down at night, and I've really enjoyed that until last night when it just smelled like diesel fuel or diesel fumes the whole way home, and like you know what. I think uh, I'm going to turn the air conditioning on.
2: You only then turned it on. Yeah, yeah. We've had that thing cranking.
3: I mean, in the car.
2: Oh, in the car when I'm driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: You paying attention here? You keeping up?
2: <laughs> I'm trying. I'm yeah. a little distracted though because um, I see that sad. <laughs> Sadly, I missed the 52nd annual Dan Rice Days. I just I'm just kicking myself in it's Pennsylvania, Gerard, Pennsylvania, August mm-hmm. the third through the fifth, and and we missed it. Um, They do this every year. I think I've mentioned here ad nauseum that Dan Rice was a highly paid performer. He was the most popular performer in his day. Uh, And now there's some dispute in the Rice household. I had been led to believe for many, many years now that Dan Rice, who is the figure upon whom the Uncle Sam character is is based, that he was Dan Rice's great, great, great. I don't know how many greats there are. Grandfather. We had a conversation the other day, and suddenly the grandfather became the uncle. So oh. I'm a little confused. I think it's the grandfather. I've spoken to other members of the family, but uh, we're, we're kind of going back and forth on that. I it's see. Been, I've been married to him for 35 years, and this is the first time I've ever heard anything about uh, Dan Rice being the great uncle. Um, although what he might have meant was he is named after the uncle who is named after the grandfather? So that that may be the case. Anyway, we'll work that out, and um, I'll report once we've once I've won the argument and we, <laughs> we've uh, come to an agreement. But uh, the 2017 festival takes place or took place rather in Girard, Pennsylvania. There were water battles held on Saturday. Um, I'm sorry, I missed that. There's a beauty pageant associated with it. There's the uh, Dan Rice Days parade. There's a Dan Rice parade. There's the Front Porch Decorating Contest in Girard, Pennsylvania. Uh, Music at two different venues. This is a big deal. You're you're not just Dan Rice, run-of-the-mill guy. We're talking Dan Rice Days, celebrated 52 years in Girard, Pennsylvania. They had music at two different venues and uh, great crafters, the longest parade in West County, Pennsylvania. Uh, they had a bike rodeo, bike patrol and with police, uh, the police department, crafters in the park, live entertainment, music performances at two different venues. Uh, they had photo contests, bathtub races, family street dance, Amish bake sale, plus much more. Uh, the Dan Rice Days Festival. Now, I want to. I mentioned it because sadly we've missed it. But if you would like to be a part of that next year, it uh, generally takes place in early August, and you can. Uh, you can find out more. Simply go to com for more information. I think you <laughs> and I should be sent by the station to do the show live during Dan Rice Days in 2018.
3: Yeah, I'd like to see a parade over there.
2: I'm I'm very curious to see what this whole Did thing is. Did you say water like. battles, too?
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: Water battles. I don't know if that's <laughs> oh, what yeah. the, you know, I see or that. guns <laughs> what, but they're encouraging the community or they encouraged the community to get involved. Anyway, mm-hmm. Dan Rice days. We're not just Dan and Georgine Rice. This is a big deal. This is a, you know.
3: Big deal. Big deal. Mm-hmm. So,
2: anyway, would love to have been there. I'm not sure I mentioned this, but Boring Oregon and Dull Scotland, two of the small communities that are united by their unexciting names, have actually joined forces with a third community, Shire, Australia.
3: Oh, Excellent.
2: Isn't that cool? Dull and Boring became sister communities in 2012 after a Scottish woman passed through the United States, uh, one of the towns, on a cycling holiday. Officials say the relationship has boosted the profiles of both places. I mean, nobody wants to go to any one of them, but at least people know that they exist. I drove through Boring and saw
3: the dull signs. There
2: you go. On Friday, dull – this is uh, actually um, a week or two ago – on Friday last, dull officials hosted the mayor of the region of Blandshire – uh, New South Wales at a reception to celebrate the third member of a club dubbed the League of Extraordinary Communities. I love it. Dennis Malloy, provost of Perth and Kinross region uh, that's home to Dull, said the alliance could expand. He says we found ordinary and dreary uh, both in America, and I think they could soon be a part of it all. You could uh, you know, host tours from one boring place to another, one uninteresting place to another, and this this could actually end up being something. So um, you have the Burning Man Festival. You might have the Lack of Interest Festival. I'm not sure what you... Uh,
3: Burning Man, Dan Rice Days, Lack of Interest Festival.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, boring, dull, and bland. Sounds like dinner last night. Although that's not true. One of my coworkers <laughs> once again surprised Dan Rice and I and provided a meal which was... Such a blessing. I'm so grateful. It was the meal the night before last that was dull, boring. And what's the other thing? Bland. Bland. Yeah, that was the dinner I made. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some rather dull, boring, and bland news. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back twenty minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. It's amazing to me what constitutes a first world problem, but uh, we have problems that no other nation so privileged would even consider uh, a problem. But police were called in New Holland, Pennsylvania. Uh, they say a Pennsylvania man ranted that there weren't enough cucumbers in his Wendy's salad, a salad he didn't have to, you know, pick from the, you know, lettuce. He didn't have to harvest the cucumbers he just drove up somewhere and said i want this and it was already assembled and he was handed uh, it was handed to him anyway he didn't have enough cucumbers in his windy salad before he threw his food at an employee and made a threat police say that they were called to the fast food restaurant on sunday afternoon in new holland after a 58 year old who should have known much better cursed threw the salad at an employee and said if i had a gun or knife um you would be the first to go now, clearly, there are more serious problems than cucumbers on the salad. But the clerk uh, called uh, police and officers arrived to find the 58-year-old grown man in his vehicle with the window rolled up. It was apparently at the drive through Police say he eventually rolled down the window but then tried to drive away as an officer reached inside. Online court records didn't list an attorney, but he remained jailed on Friday on aggravated assault, terroristic threats, and other charges. Cucumbers. On a ready-made salad that costs very little. Oh, the uh, the burden of living in the first world. A 60-year-old Singaporean man is under investigation for inserting toothpicks into a seat on a public bus. A suspected case of mischief that could put him behind bars for up to two years, the police said on Tuesday. Now we might want to, re- you know, reconsider. Uh, The kinds of penalties for misbehavior. Um, Singapore, as you know, is a very low crime area. You don't want to commit any kind of a crime. The penalties are very stiff. Through extensive inquiries and with the assistance of CCTV footage, officers established the identity of the suspect, a police statement said. Now, wouldn't the uh, police officers like to have uh, the, the job of trying to identify someone who left a toothpick in the chair of a bus? Rather than some of the things they have to uh, face today, pictures of three toothpicks sticking up from the seat. So he didn't just leave them in the seat. They were uh, sticking up from the seat were posted last month by a Facebook user who said she noticed them just as she was about to sit down. So they were intended To skewer the next uh, person, remember to check your seat next time before sitting, guys, she wrote. The post was shared more than 2,500 times. Apparently, that's big news in Singapore. Singapore is a wealthy city state. It has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. However, one of the government's public information slogans is low crime doesn't mean no crime. So authorities uh, come down hard on minor crimes such as vandalism, which is punishable by caning. We've all heard about cases where that has been applied, and the import of chewing gum uh, is banned in part to keep public spaces clean. Well, two years ago, a smoker was fined nineteen thousand eight hundred. I'm not sure what their unit of currency is, but for throwing cigarette ends, it's about fourteen thousand five hundred and fifty dollars uh, for throwing cigarette ends out the window of his uh, flat. Uh, For days, so apparently he did it more than once. The police said the investigation into the case of the toothpick is continuing. The offense of mischief carries a punishment of imprisonment for up to two years or a fine or both. So throwing a hissy fit over cucumbers would not be tolerated in Singapore. I'm not recommending two years, but nonetheless, Mm. what a contrast. Well, a 59-year-old woman from the central Chinese city of Wuhan Uh, transformed her appearance through plastic surgery in order to avoid 25 million yuan, about $3.71 million of personal debts, according to the state news agency. She just altered a little here, a little there. In a case highlighting the uh, challenges facing China as it tries to establish a credit society, police officers were reported to be astonished after apprehending the woman who fled to the southeastern Chinese city of Sichuan after a court in Huan ordered her to pay off her debt. You know, that's what you do. You accrue a debt, you pay it off. We were very surprised at the scene. The official um, news agency quoted a policeman as saying she looked in her 30s and was different from the the photos that we had. The woman, identified as Zhu Nujuan, uh, also confessed to using other people's identity cards to travel across the country by train. She financed her plastic surgery using borrowed bank cards. Well, she's just going deeper and deeper. She already has a $3.7 million debt. And now she's uh, borrowing other people's money and uh, identification. Representatives from more than 300 Chinese cities released the declaration earlier in July, promising to make more credit available to consumer spending, part of the country's effort to find new sources of economic growth and reduce its dependence on heavy industry and state-driven infrastructure investment. But as the country strives to make more credit available to individuals, it's also facing a surge of household debt, which is estimated to have reached around 50 percent of gross domestic product last year. Year more than doubling um, uh, is uh, less than a decade ago. Well, as uh, regulatory uh, regulators rather try to establish a reliable nationwide credit rating system, authorities across the country are always exploring new ways to crack down on those who do not pay their debts, especially when they have reached a level of what three point seven one million U.S. dollars, um, which is twenty five million yuan, according to the state media. One court in uh, Jiangsu. The province has drawn up a blacklist of defaulters. Anyone who telephones an individual on the blacklist will first be forced to listen to a pre-recorded message saying, please urge this person to fulfill their legal obligations. Now, again, we might want to consider something like that. You owe on your Sears card, you call somebody on your cell phone and before uh, while it's ringing, you hear the message, please urge Clark Hilton to pay off his debts may not fly here. Well, a 93-year-old judge who issued rulings on everything from desegregation to prisoners' rights is retiring after nearly four decades on the federal bench in Illinois. Now, wouldn't you like to be vigorous enough at 93 uh, to not only have some sort of gainful employment, but to be, uh, well, Coherent enough. I'm struggling at 61. Coherent enough to hold that position for 40 years. Chicago's U.S. District Court announced on Tuesday that Milton Shadder will be retiring effective next month. Among the thousands of cases he presided over was a copyright lawsuit brought by NBA superstar Michael Jordan. He was on the bench then. Shadur told the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin that he hadn't intended to retire, but complications from recent surgery changed his mind. Complications from recent surgery. That's what... Prompted his uh, retirement at 93. Chief U.S. District Judge Ruben Castillo, he called Shadur simply a legend. Uh, he graduated from the University of Chicago at age 18 with a degree in math and physics. President Jimmy Carter appointed the World War II veteran to the bench in 1980. He and his wife have been married for 71 years. Wow, That's incredible. 71 years, and he had the presence of mind at 93 to sit on the bench uh, in uh, in Chicago on the U.S. District Court, retiring only because there were some complications related to a surgery. Why well, I aspire to, uh, you know, if the Lord wills and I live, I aspire to that kind of clarity. It would require an improvement at this point because I'm already far behind him at my, uh, at my age. Well, you may have heard about this, but these days the price of a San Francisco home, it can easily top a million dollars. But one savvy investor has bought up a whole street in the city's most exclusive neighborhood for a mere 90K, $90,000. Trouble is, some of the extremely wealthy residents of Presidio Terrace, I mean, it just sounds wealthy, Presidio Terrace, weren't aware their street was up for sale and they're not pleased that it's been sold. Presidio Terrace is an oval-shaped street sealed off by a gate from the tawny Presidio Heights neighborhood. It's lined with towering palm trees, multimillion-dollar mansions. The street has been home over the years to famous residents, including Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. Well, thanks to a city auction stemming from an unpaid tax bill, Bay Area real estate investor Michael Chang and his wife, Tina Lam they bought the street and now own the sidewalks, the street itself and other areas of common ground in the private development that the San Francisco Chronicle reported has been managed by the homeowners association since at least 1905. Well, Cheng says reaction to the sale has been less than neighborly. I thought they would reach out to us and invite us into their new in as new neighbors. Cheng said, speaking to the Associated Press, this has certainly blown up a lot more than we expected. Well, it turns out the homeowners association for Presidio Terrace failed to pay a $14 uh, dollar a year property tax. $14 a year <laughs> property tax, something that owners of all 181 private streets in San Francisco must do, the Chronicle said. Hmm. So the homeowners association is responsible for this uh, stretch of land being sold out from under them. So the, the city's tax office put the property up for sale at the cost of $994 in an online auction to regain unpaid back taxes, penalties and interests. Well, the couple eventually won the street for $90,100. Uh, in April of, um, in an auction, April of 2015. So I'm not sure why this is just making headlines now. Perhaps there was a delay in, uh, taking ownership. But the attorney for the Presidio Homeowners Association said in a letter to the city that the owners failed to pay because the tax bill was mistakenly being sent to the address of an accountant who hadn't worked for the Homeowners Association since the 1980s, the uh, Chronicle reported. So it wasn't negligence. They never actually received the bill, they said. Uh, he went on to say that the residents didn't know their street was put up for auction on the on the auction block, let alone sold until May when a title search company hired by Chang and Lam reached out to ask if any residents had interest in buying back the property. Well, that was one of several options Chang and Lam, the two new owners, have considered for making the investment pay off. Another option is to uh, charge residents to park on the street. That's going to make you really popular. And rent out the 120 parking spaces that line the Grand Circular Road. As legal owner of this property, we have a lot of options, Chang said, one of the owners, adding that nothing has been decided, the matter could be headed to court. Last month, the homeowners petitioned the Board of Supervisors for a hearing to rescind the tax sale. The board has scheduled a hearing in October. The homeowners association has also sued the couple and the city, seeking to block Chang and Lam from selling the street to anyone while the city appeals are pending. Wow. I feel the earth move under my feet. has taken on new meaning. 31 minutes <laughs> after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by ZeroRes.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 36 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Did you hear this story out of Nevada? They were holding a city council meeting, and it was interrupted when a woman's purse abruptly burst into flames in a moment caught on camera. A video from the Boulder City Council meeting on Tuesday night shows a small explosion take place in the woman's purse as she sits behind the man addressing the council. The fire chief, uh, who regularly attends the council meetings, rushed to the woman's aid as the flames spread to her shirt. There was a battery malfunction in her purse that ignited uh, the purse, he says. The woman, who sustained only minor burns and didn't need to be hospitalized, said the exploded battery was... Uh, the type meant to be used in an electronic cigarette or vape pen.
0: Hmm. Mm. Um,
2: she said, well, that was exciting. It was the most excitement that they had at the uh, city council meeting in quite some time, although none of them wants to see that uh, that repeated. So she had the, I, I guess it wasn't in the vaping mechanism. It was just the battery itself was in her purse and somehow exploded uh, in the bag. That's one way, I guess, to introduce some Excitement into a, a city council meeting, which can be very droll indeed. Well, a small boy having a temper tantrum stole the scene from a television reporter in mid-broadcast from a racing event in Scotland. Jim Adula Hunt was having a uh, giving rather a preview of the racing events on Saturday in Hamilton for the local television station when viewers noticed the real action was taking place behind him. So the person uh, holding the mic is standing in the foreground, and in the background, you can see a little boy, and he's just lost it. Unbeknownst to the uh, reporter, the small boy had uh, darted into frame behind him, collapsed in a temper tantrum when a young girl, thought to be his sister, attempted to guide him away. The the, uh, crying boy was then dragged out of the frame by his legs, (laughs) which was quite interesting. The clip went viral on Twitter after being uploaded by users. Um, Anyway... That's the beauty of radio. You don't have to worry about (laughs) being photobombed, if you will. Well, New Hampshire, uh, the governor there and the uh, governor of Vermont are talking about facing off on the racetrack. Now, what do they have to face off regarding? Well, New Hampshire uh, Governor Chris Sununu tweeted a challenge to fellow governor, GOP Governor uh, Phil Scott of Vermont on Monday, saying that rumor on the street is that uh, you race cars, mentioning his most recent racing exploits, drag racing many school buses on Saturday and losing in the final. Sununu then asked if Scott was up for a race. Well, Scott, who is uh, one of Vermont's most popular stock car racers, tweeted back, You're on, at Governor Chris Sununu. But I don't just race cars. Uh, I'll let you pick the vehicle. Well, Scott <laughs> is in his 27th year of racing at Thunder Road in Bar, Vermont. Over that time, he's won three track championships, most recently in 2002. Going into this season, he had won 29 feature races at Thunder Road and uh, most uh, the most ever in a season. On the 6th of July, he won his 30th. Well, before taking up stock car racing, Scott was uh, also raced motorcycles and snowmobiles. In a second tweet, he offered to stick to a bus and said that he had a track-ready vehicle at his disposal. This was no immediate word. Rather, there was no immediate word as to where or when the governor, uh, governors might race. But um, that would be an interesting face-off. The governors of New Hampshire and Vermont um, racing one another in some some fashion okay i've i'd watch that yeah i think it would be a lot of fun especially if they do it for charity and raise a little coin something non-political perhaps well you know when there's conflict between politicians perhaps one of the best ways um, to sort of settle things down to get people's hearts racing in a different way uh, we might want to take the lead from vladimir putin because yes ladies and gentlemen he is at it again He's gone fishing and Without Vladimir Putin can't do a thing uh, with uh, with his shirt on. So, yes, um, a series of 13 photos are now being circulated <laughs> of Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, in his bare chest on the Siberian lake trip.
3: actually saw a video of that trip. It's ridiculous.
2: It's, it's ridiculous. You know, he's standing there holding a pole, kind of grinning, trying to look virile. It, it's just... Uh, and, and the uh, the caption is that uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin holds a fish he caught during a, a hunting and fishing trip, and, and it's worded as if they just happened upon him engaged in this leisurely activity <laughs> yeah. and photographed him because it was such a stunning image that it had to be seen. <laughs> so, <this> gentlemen, whole...
3: <laughs> let me take my shirt off first.
2: <laughs> oh boy, it's hot. You know, we had temperatures triple digits. Nobody was taking their shirt off. Well, there he is most in Siberia taking... <laughs>
3: taking his shirt off. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, here's what it says. Russian President Vladimir Putin stripped to his waist to brave the cold waters of a mountain lake as part of a three-day fishing and hunting trip in the Siberian wilderness. Putin, 64, is renowned for his strongman publicity stunts, which have contributed to his sky-high popularity ratings. Really, the Russian people are impressed by that. He's very pop. Uh, you know, it's contributed to. I suppose there are other things as well. Do you think if our current president or members, select members of Congress were to... I don't know, go to a lake somewhere, take their shirts off. That would help their ratings. Absolutely not. (laughs) Not so much. Nobody wants to see that. Anyway, Putin at 64. The trip comes eight months before Russia's presidential election. Oh, there you have it. It's right before the election. Uh, Next March. And though he has yet to announce his candidacy, Putin is widely expected to run. And win comfortably. (laughs) Of
3: course. That's how it works. (laughs)
2: As comfortably as a man out in the wilderness without a shirt. The hunting and fishing expedition took place the 1st through the 3rd of August in the Republic of Taiva in uh, southern Siberia on the Mongolian border, some 3,700 kilometers east of Moscow, about 2,300 miles. Pictures and video footage. There just happened to be picture and video footage released by the Kremlin. So these are official. They're not just run-of-the-mill. Somebody's looking for... Uh, sasquatch and they just happened to catch um vladimir putin uh the video maybe they're
3: one in the same
2: maybe so pictures and video footage were released by the kremlin on saturday they show putin who is also a keen practitioner of martial arts and ice hockey spearfishing swimming and sunbathing along uh, alongside the defense minister sergey shogu (laughs) just think of their counterparts here uh the president along with who um uh, one of the generals out fishing and sunbathing shirtless. Well, the water in the lake doesn't get warmer than 17 degrees, so there really wasn't any reason to take his shirt off. Uh, but this didn't stop the president uh, from going for a swim, the Kremlin said, because he's just that uh, that virile. He went um, hunting underwater with a mask and snorkel. He went hunting underwater. What do you hunt for underwater with a mask and snorkel? That's That's the Russian president for you. The president chased after one pike, for two hours, they say. Wow, the man in is In 17-degree water. In 17-degree water for wow. two hours. Uh, there was no way he could shoot it, but in the end, he got what he wanted, which, which is what? <laughs> what Publicity
3: <laughs> on how virile he is.
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. If only it were that easy here in the U.S. Um, so
3: is that 17 degrees Celsius? It must be.
2: Well, it that's must, still
3: pretty cold water. Yeah. It's about sixty-two degrees it's Fahrenheit. It's not take
2: off your shirt. No temperature water, and you it's know, two still, hours. If
3: you're in there for two hours, you're probably <laughs> starting to deal with hypothermia. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm thinking. He turned blue. He's hypothermic, and yet he got what he wanted, mm. whatever that ultimately was. Well, a few weeks back, we learned about a, a truck that overturned, and slimy eels emerged. Well. Apparently, this sort of thing happens quite often. Here's a headline. Overturned dump truck covers Florida Highway in sand. This was a stretch of highway closed in central Florida after an overturned truck covered the road with sand. And then there's this. Overturned truck sends pigs spilling onto Kentucky Highway. Traffic on the highway in Kentucky was delayed for several hours after the truck carrying hundreds of pigs overturned. The crash occurred in the morning on Wednesday when a semi-truck carrying 150 pigs headed to a... A plant in Louis, uh, Louisville overturned on the northbound ramp uh, of the interstate. My guess is the pigs were talking in the back of the truck, and they said, "Look, we're not going uh, to the Swift plant to become somebody's bacon. So let's all together. Let's go to the right. Let's go to the left. And they're they're in the truck, going from one side to the other until it forced the weight." Uh, shift, force the thing to overturn, and then they could scatter. Some of the pigs were killed on impact. pig
3: insurrection.
2: (laughs) There you go. You know, some were willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the greater good, while others were sent wandering along the interstate. You know, it's uh, a hurt feeling, and I hurt too, says the uh, driver. Uh, He didn't like it. The Swift plant officials arrived at the scene and euthanized some of the injured pigs, loaded the rest of the pigs onto another truck headed for the plant, where they, of course, would be euthanized. Euthanized. (laughs) The driver of the truck was taken to a local hospital after sustaining minor injuries in the crash. Authorities had no other vehicles, said rather, no other vehicles were involved. And then there's this, the saddest of them all. The Arkansas Department of Transportation is mourning the lots of pizza fatalities, after a truck carrying frozen pizza crashed on a stretch of highway in Little Rock. Pizza fatalities. I <laughs> saw
3: the video of that. It was a mess. It was, the highway was closed down for yep. hours. Yep.
2: Uh, this was reported after DiGiorno tombstone, uh, truck crashed on the Arkansas highway. The accident happened at about 1 p.m. on Wednesday after the truck rammed into an overpass on Interstate 30. (laughs) According to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the 18-wheeler scraped up against the uh, bridge uh, support uh, near the overpass, tearing it apart, uh, uh, the part of the trailer, I should say, and causing the vehicle to spill its cheesy haul, along with a bunch of diesel fuel uh, all across the highway. So pizza, pizza boxes,
3: Diesel fuel. Um, diesel fuel. And they had bulldozers out there cleaning it up. It was quite the, quite the spectacle.
2: Yeah, it is quite the spectacle. <laughs> anyway, so these spills, they, they get more interesting as time goes by. 46 minutes, no pizzas were actually injured. They just ended up on the highway. 46 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Want to give away our first family four pack of tickets to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. The first of two. We'll do the same in the five o'clock hour. Um the uh, singing Christmas tree runs from November 24th which is the day after Thanksgiving right through December the 3rd it straddles the two weekends uh at the Keller Auditorium and we'd love for you to win a family four pack of tickets and you can negotiate the dates that will work for your uh, uh for your schedule we want to give those tickets away to caller number 5 and the number to call one 845 2162 800 845 2162 um want to let you know that you have until the 14th to enjoy some discounted tickets with the Family uh, the the Singing Christmas Tree. I say family because they are my family. Um, And these are the the least expensive tickets of the season. So if you take advantage of that opportunity now, you can experience and enjoy some great discounts. SingingChristmastree.org You can find out all the important details, the dates, the times, the seating, everything. You can purchase your tickets, and I would encourage you to do that from the Singing Christmas Tree office. They're a little less when you do it that way than going through the uh, like Ticketmaster. master um, but those tickets are available and the performances again begin november 24th the day after thanksgiving and the last performance takes place on december the 3rd which is a sunday so check out the calendar and uh, we are looking forward to congratulating our winners for the first family four pack of tickets to the portland singing christmas tree at the keller auditorium in the four o'clock hour of today's program we'll do this again let's say oh, i don't know the five o'clock hour we were talking about the pizza truck, among others, that uh, overturned, losing their uh, their uh, cargo. Residents in uh, Georgia challenged New York's rival or, or rather viral pizza rat after a squirrel was spotted nibbling on a piece of pizza at a local park. Now, apparently New York has a pizza rat, and now that rat is being challenged uh, by the so-called squirrel who is doing the same. Well Grant Park Conservancy shared a photo of a bushy-tailed squirrel as it dragged the large piece of uh, cheesy pizza uh, in its mouth. So what if in in W in NYC rather has Pizza rat Grant Park has pizza squirrel, the Conservancy said. Well, the uh, Alyssa Chambers snapped the photo of the squirrel after she spotted it carrying the pizza near the park's pool. I saw the squirrel inside the pool when it was closed, Chambers said. I watched him balance himself on a trash can, reach inside, come out with a slice of pizza. Very clever. Well, the Conservancy compared the squirrel to the notorious pizza rat that went viral in 2015 after video of it carrying a whole slice of pizza down a flight of stairs was shared online. Apparently, this is just as impressive. Chambers said the pizza squirrel was behind a locked fence, uh, seemed wary of her as it attempted to uh, make off with a cheesy pizza, but make off with a cheesy pizza. it did. Uh, Cairo, speaking of uh, things we enjoy to eat. Uh, an Egyptian liver delicacy is uh, being served now in Cairo, uh, on the table at operating room, um, themed restaurant. Dressed in blue surgical scrubs and gloves, the kitchen staff at the Egyptian restaurant um, prepare grilled beef liver sandwiches behind a glass pane as customers uh, tuck into the uh, uh, delicacy. the sandwiches, an Egyptian delicacy known as Kebda or something very similar to that, are the only item on the menu of the surgery-themed restaurant established in July by a group of Egyptian doctors. I don't know about uh, what about being in a surgery setting would make one feel like they want to eat, but kebda is a popular street food in Egypt, but it can uh, cause severe food poisoning if not prepared with proper care. The physicians hope to avoid that by (laughs) applying, they hope to avoid that by applying the same rigorous medical standards they practice with patients. So the idea is these are physicians who know how to prepare a meal in a sanitary environment, avoiding severe food poisoning. Says one of the doctors, uh, we tried to take our career val- uh, our career values and apply them to this field. There is no contradiction between them. We are still practicing doctors. So in their spare time, they're restaurant owners and servers. And again, if uh, the the dish that they serve and there's only one item on the menu is not served properly, uh, it can cause severe food poisoning. So I guess the idea is if they fail at uh, serving it um, as it ought to be served, and you do get a severe case of food poisoning, you're surrounded by practicing physicians, and you'll be better off. So, liver sandwiches, kebda. Sounds good. And then there's this. No,
3: no, it doesn't.
2: No, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. In a change from chocolates and fizzy drinks, the French are starting to offer fresh oysters from a vending machine. In the hopes of selling more of the delicacy outside uh, business hours. I don't know. There's just something about an oyster and a vending machine just does not seem to add uh-uh. up. Not good. One pioneer, an oyster farmer whose automatic dispenser of live oysters uh, um, off the western coast of France offers a range of quantities, types and sizes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. French oyster farmers are uh, following in the footsteps of other producers of fresh food who once manned stalls along roadsides for long hours but now use machines. Takes a little bit of the charm away that at least tourists expect to find there. We can come at midnight if we want. Uh, If we have a craving for oysters, it's excellent. They're really fresh, says one 45-year-old client, holidaying on the island. Um, The uh, refrigerated dispenser, one of the first... Uh, with a glass panel,s uh, offers customers the opportunity to see what they're buying. It's uh, broadly similar to those that offer snacks and drinks at railway stations and office buildings worldwide. Customers use their bank card to access, opening the door of their choice from a range of carton sized oyster types, and there are different types of oysters. 30 years in uh, Oyster Breeder, um, the owner sees it as an extra source of revenue rather than an alternative to normal points of sale like food markets, fishmongers, and supermarkets. They're all still there, but this extends the possibilities. He said, we felt as though we were losing lots of sales when we were closed. Um, there was a cost involved when buying the machine, of course, but we're paying, um, paying it back in installments, and today, in theory, we can say that the calculations are correct and it's working. Well, selling oysters from a machine uh, bets on uh, more than just open-mindedness among consumers. Live mollusks not kept cool enough or stored too long out of the seawater can cause food poisoning when opened. Uh, the owners say that the machine has an a, a, an appeal to a younger generation accustomed to buying on the internet and um, unperturbed by the absence of a shopkeeper. So, would you buy an oyster from a vending machine?
3: No, I wouldn't.
2: Yeah, a raw oyster. I I don't know. I, it sounds to me like it's being updated regularly and manned and all of that. Whatever. It just doesn't. Uh, for one thing, I'm I'm not uh, an eater of raw oysters, whatever the variety. But it's uh, innovation hitting the streets of france if you want an oyster look for a vending machine Ugh, of a sort <laughs> all right we're going to take a quick break when we come back we uh are going to continue our fun friday fair also we'll be giving away our final family four pack of tickets to the portland singing christmas tree
1: you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast It's aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: We're back five minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. This hour, we're going to give away our final family four-pack of tickets to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree at the Keller Auditorium, celebrating its 55th year of dazzling audiences throughout the Portland metro area. Uh, The performances begin on November the 24th, end on December the 3rd. They straddle both of those weekends. You can check out uh, more details at singingchristmastree.com. I think that's right. Make sure that's not org. It's org. singingchristmastree.org. dot uh, org. Ticket prices range from twenty to sixty dollars, and right up through the fourteenth, you have an opportunity to enjoy a significant discount. The, the least expensive tickets uh, of the season are on sale right now. So if you're planning on going, why not buy your tickets now? You can select where you want to sit, which performances, and all those uh, performance and all those details. And with a discount, you might want to invite. Uh, others you might not uh, otherwise be able to afford, so keep that in mind. Again, singingchristmastree.org, and we'll give away our final family uh, four-pack of tickets uh, later this hour. Well, Taco Bell is testing uh, what they're calling firecracker burritos. They're sprinkling the uh, burritos with popping candy. Now, there's nothing like having candy in your burrito and then calling it firecracker Um, Say what you will about Taco Bell, they certainly aren't running out of ideas. Perhaps they should stop searching, but nonetheless, they're not running out of ideas. The same chain that gave you the grilled stuffed nacho and the naked chicken chalupa is reportedly testing a brand new firecracker burrito that customers can choose to top with spicy popping crystals reminiscent of Pop Rocks. Now think Pop Rocks, think burrito, put the two together, and that's the firecracker burrito. Huh. A Reddit user um, was the first to report on this um, new test item after seeing it advertised at his local Taco Bell. And days before it made uh, first appearance on Instagram, it's a rather well familiar looking burrito with these candies stuffed inside. Um, according to the uh, uh, the poster, the firecracker burrito contains beef, rice, nacho cheese. And uh, tortilla strips, oh, that sounds pretty good, comes wrapped in a red tortilla. Uh, there's also a spicy version that contains chipotle sauce. Well, the the piece de resistance, however, is the packet of cayenne popping crystals that Taco Bell provides uh, with the burrito uh, to be sprinkled on each bite. Cayenne-flavored popping crystals. Are we that desperate for some kind of sensation that we would put cayenne-flavored popping crystals on a perfectly good burrito? Uh, Well, the Redditors uh, also confirmed that the crystals were sweet and crackle-like pop rocks. I don't know what about cayenne says sweet, but they claim uh, it's a bit of a baffling idea, uh, confusing. Food Beast further reported that the firecracker burrito... Uh, it costs about $1.29 with the Popping crystals selling for an additional 20 cents. So if you're uh, looking for a taste sensation of a sort, you have to have an extra 20 cents. At the moment, Taco Bell is only testing firecracker burritos in four locations, according to Food Beast. Um, they've already confirmed uh, one of these, the Taco Bell, in um, Santa Ana, California, but it's still unclear which of the chains other locations will be participating. So if you're looking for... Um, Uh, A taste sensation you'll have to wait. If it's successful there, who knows, it might end up here. A representative for Taco Bell was unwilling to comment on the experiment and say one way or the other when it might show up. Speaking of showing up, what about popping up? Well, pop-up Cheetos-themed restaurants are opening in New York City. Frito-Lay is getting in on uh, New York City's Restaurant Week by opening a pop-up eatery with a menu full of Cheetos-themed cuisine.
3: Wow, my daughter would love it.
2: Hmm. The Spotted Cheetah opens its doors in Lower Manhattan for just three days next week. Some of the dishes on the three-course menu uh, created by Chef Anne Burrell includes Cheetos Crusted Fried Pickles, Mac and Cheetos, Cheetos Sweetos Crusted Cheesecake. No, I'm not so sure about that. Prices range from $8 to $22 per dish. Cheetos Sweetos Crusted Cheesecake. I don't know about that, crusted, uh, let's see, Cheetos crusted fried pickles and mac and Cheetos. Well, Frito-Lay says recipes created by fans inspired the company to bring a full Cheetos culinary experience to life. The Spotted Cheetah is completely booked for its um, brief run that begins on Tuesday. But Cheetos fans can add their names to an online wait list. Um, Anyway, the Cheetos company, Frito-Lay, is a division of PepsiCo, and they're located in Plano, Texas. So I guess we won't be uh, trying any of these dishes anytime soon. Well, New Yorkers are complaining that rats have overrun some of the city's parks and are leaping into strollers in search of food. So you go for a walk in the park with baby in a stroller. Rats looking for snacks. Residents of New York City's Upper West Side have told the state assemblywoman Linda Rosenthal that rats are everywhere in areas like Central Park and Riverside Park. Uh, They said that the rats jump onto strollers, so they're very brazen. Rosenthal has asked the city to invest part of the $32 million neighborhood rat reduction plan to specifically help combat the growing rat problem in her district, which includes the Upper West Side, as the rodents grow more daring in their pursuit of food. Well, the rat problem here is severe, she told the Wall Street Journal. More money, more efforts uh, need to be directed to the parks here and the Upper uh, West Side. A city hall spokeswoman said that the city's current plans focus on targeting the Lower East Side, Chinatown, the East Village, the Bronx Grand Concourse area, and the Bushwick and Bedford-Stuyvesant uh, neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Our new plan builds upon our current abatement efforts to target the three most infested neighborhoods in New York City and will be fully launched by the end of 2017, she said. Once this is complete, the city will review the plan's impact and discuss expansion to other zones. Now, if for no other reason, one reason you ought to be grateful that you live in the great Pacific Northwest is that we don't have a major rat problem infestation yeah like they do uh, the mayor's office said current programs in the upper west side send uh, staff to visit infested areas every seven to ten days until the rodents are removed how they're removing them Hmm. well areas covered under the neighborhood rat reduction plan use smart trash cans dry ice uh, severe fines for illegal garbage dumping to uh, discourage growth in the rat population they don't need much encouragement Upper West Side parks haven't yet received clearance to use dry ice and can't spray conventional rodenticide rodenticide, uh, because the chemicals may poison local hawk populations. So they've got a problem uh, that's not going to be easily eradicated. So be grateful. And then there's this. Vegetarians are almost twice as likely to suffer from depression as those who consume a conventional balanced diet, according to a new study. The new Bristol University study of almost 10,000 from southwestern England found that vegetarians there were more likely to develop depression due to vitamin and mineral deficiencies that can negatively impact their mental health. Now, the 350 committed vegetarians who participated in the study had a higher average depression score when compared to the meat eaters, according to the study, which was published in the Journal of Effective Disorders. The vegetarians' diet tended to feature lower vitamin B12 consumption as well as greater intake of nuts than contain omega-6 fatty acids, which have been linked with the increased risk of mental health problems. Hmm. Well, slightly more than 50% of vegans and 7% of vegetarians have a vitamin B12 deficiency. One might assume you could... Um, shore that up with supplements. The researchers said vitamin B12 can be found in red meat and plays an important role in affecting an individual's mood. Other potential factors include high blood levels of, let's see, phytoestrogens, consequent mainly uh, on diets uh, rich in vegetables and soy, the, the report said. Another potential a contributing factor is that lower intakes of seafood are thought to be associated with greater risks of depressive symptoms. The lack of a balanced diet can influence the development of depression, and the research findings can also be attributed partially to iron deficiencies. Again, supplement might uh, might do the job there. The study says uh, participants who had been consuming a vegetarian diet for longer periods of time or had higher depression. Uh, scores throughout, but the researchers didn 't rule out the possibility that the vegetarians decisions to adopt their diet could have been a symptom of depression from the start, so there you uh, there you have it well in the future, we may be competing against medically enhanced workers who can work longer <laughs> and harder than us. Artificial intelligence will make it easier to monitor our every move in the office. And this may sound like science fiction, but it's a likely reality, according to a new report by professional services firm PricewaterhouseCoopers. The report, which drew upon a team of science researchers and a survey of more than 10,000 workers based in China, Germany, India and the U.K., as well as the U.S., predicts that rapid advances in technology, resource scarcity and the population demographics are among the key factors that would radically shape the future of work by 2030. I hope to be retired by 2030, but you know, never know with the economy. We'll tell you more about that when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this segment, we're going to give away our last family four pack of tickets to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. But you can buy your tickets at a discount right up through the 24th. We'll give you. Details on that in just a few moments. We were talking about a new study on the future of work. They say that rapid advances in technology, resource scarcity, population demographics. Well, according to this report, these forces are going to result in four potential futures. One where humans come first. Well, that would be good. One where innovation rules, one where companies care and one where corporate is king. Well, in the future world where corporations reign, Uh, They state that human effort is maximized through sophisticated use of physical and medical enhancement techniques and equipment, and workers' performance and well-being are measured, monitored, and analyzed at every step. How you doing? 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 Only that will all be done through technology. A new breed of elite super workers emerges. I think we're already super workers, wouldn't you say, Clark? I think we already qualify, so we're pretty much exempt from this. This is a world where performance is everything. Workers will need to create every advantage to stay ahead. This may sound like a stressful objective, but the majority of people surveyed welcomed the challenge. Wow, you want to be a super elite worker. Uh, 70% of the workers surveyed said that they would undergo treatments to improve their body and mind if it would improve their chances of employment. Now, this could be because we believe it's up to us to improve our careers, even if that means pill-popping, performance-enhancing drugs. Wow, people are willing to do that, at least in the survey. Of those surveyed, 74% said that it was their per- their individual responsibility to update their skills rather than relying on an employer. To visualize this cognitive-enhanced future, they created a mock news article reporting uh, from 2030 that detailed the first large-scale use of brain-enhancing drugs in the marketplace. But you don't need a fake news report to see this future. Real news reports about augmented bodies in the office have existed for some time. Companies in the U.S. and Europe are already offering microchip implants to workers. We talked about that earlier this week so that they can enter company buildings and get their uh, chips from the vending machine uh, with the wave of a, a hand or, you know, oysters for that matter. They predicted the idea of a cyborg workforce will go from science fiction novelty to mainstream in the next few decades. So implants at work are already possible and uh, happening, and people will use it socially to pay for things and to get on the bus and public transport. Where have I heard that before, buying and selling with things that that are implanted? Uh, Why would they not, 10 years later, uh, go, sure, put one in my brain or to make me think harder or uh, for a longer period of time? John Williams uh, of this whole plan says that people and organizations... um, are on the cusp of this very natural, as he put it, progression. So this survey on the future of work uh, certainly confirms some of what many of us believe is on the horizon. Well, it's a good thing scientists weren't especially hungry when they stepped inside one of the earliest structures built in Antarctica recently, on a shelf in a hut in Cape uh, Adair, rather, uh, sat a perfectly preserved fruitcake, apparently untouched for more than a century, reports stuff Um C-O made by British label Huntley and Palmer's. The fruitcake was hidden inside a severely corroded tin taken from the hut as part of a conservation project encompassing several old huts built during the Norwegian expedition in 1899. And though its paper had begun to deteriorate, the cake itself looked like new and rather tasty. I don't know if it looked tasty or if it was tasty. Unfortunately, it didn't smell quite as good with an odor of rancid butter says Lizzie Meek, of New Zealand's Antarctic Heritage Trust. Um, The fruitcake was actually one of 1,500 artifacts recovered from the huts, and it wasn't the only food item. There were also badly deteriorated meat and fish, sardines, rather nice-looking jams in addition to tools and clothing. The fruitcake, however, believed to have been carried to uh, to Cape Adair uh, by a member of Robert Falcon Scott's British Antarctic Expedition in 1911, was quite a surprise. Most people don't carry a whole fruitcake to Antarctica and not eat it. Of course, I not eat fruitcake quite frequently, but carrying it is another matter. Most people don't, uh, don't do that. Uh, it's not recommended, they say. It's, uh, you could theoretically taste it if you ever visit Antarctica. They left it there. They say all items found will be returned to the huts. She adds the fruitcake could very well last another hundred years if ice conditions continue or icy conditions so kind of an interesting uh, find what uh, work life will be like in 2030 and what's left behind from 1911. Well, an Australian woman had a piece of um, orthodontic wire removed from her intestines 10 years after she had her dental braces removed. The 30-year-old Perth woman arrived a number of months ago in an emergency department at Sir Charles Hospital uh, complaining of severe abdominal pain when doctors discovered a piece of wire that pierced her small intestine. Doctors initially thought the pain was related to her gallbladder and released her after the pain subsided, but she returned two days later complaining of the same thing. She was so unwell that uh, we had to take her to theater straight away and extract whatever it was, and it turned out to be a seven centimeter piece of orthodontic wire from braces she had 10 years earlier. At first, doctors suspected the woman may have uh, swallowed a fishbone, but the woman had no collection of, uh, no recollection rather of swallowing one. Uh, they eventually discovered the item was actually a wire from the woman's dental braces, which she had uh, earlier. I think it was probably just sitting there in her stomach the whole time. And then when the small bowel was punctured, that's when the pain started. The wire had pierced the intestine in multiple spots and began to twist uh, around itself, obstructing the intestine and causing a condition called volvulus. Uh, Shepard said the uh, situation was incredibly uncommon and people with braces shouldn't be concerned about similar incidents. The chances of swallowing a wire from your braces is very low, she said. There might be a higher chance if you were sedated and undergo a dental procedure, but that's very unusual, as was this case. Wow, I don't think I... Want to have to undergo something like that? We've got a couple minutes left in this segment, so it's a great time to give away our final family four pack of tickets to Portland Singing Christmas Tree. And just for your information, the Singing Christmas Tree uh, performing at the Keller Auditorium begins on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. That's the Friday after Thanksgiving, November twenty fourth, and runs through December the third. It straddles both weekends: the weekend after Thanksgiving and the following weekend. Uh, with Friday, Saturday, Sunday performances in November, and then the following weekend beginning Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, leading up to the December 3rd final performance at the Keller. As I mentioned, there is uh, right now an opportunity to enjoy a discount on tickets, and you can go to singingchristmastree.org for more information. That's right up through the 14th. Uh, And if you're planning on buying multiple tickets, this is a great way to save on those tickets. And the prices, by the way, range from $20 to $60 per ticket. So there is a price uh, that fits just about every budget. So take advantage of uh, that opportunity for additional tickets. SingingChristmastree.org. But now we'd love to give away a family four-pack of tickets to the uh, tree at the Keller Auditorium to caller number two. And that number to call, one 800 Eight, four, five, two, one, six, two. Again, our final family four pack of tickets to Portland singing Christmas tree at the Keller Auditorium beginning on Friday, November 24th. One, eight hundred, eight, four, five, two, one, six, two. Good luck and congratulations. Two minutes. Second caller. OK, OK. Uh, America's original Desperate Housewives. In the 1950s, one of my favorite television programs was really a precursor to the uh, contemporary reality television. In the 1950s, this reality TV show crowned women queen for a day, and it showered them with gifts in return for sharing their, well, sob stories, as long as they weren't too sad. Well, decades before Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, or Biggest Loser, there was another reality show that granted the wishes of America's needy. Queen for a Day from 1945 to 1964 the show featured housewives as they were known at the time downtrodden by hardships pleading with an audience for their applause after sharing their heartbreaking life story which left them desperate for various material goods well the show was uh, the prototype of popular american reality game show television today although much more tastefully done and pioneered the pairing between consumerism and misery shows which prompted a debate uh, to this day about the exploitation of of um, the poor or the distressed for entertainment purposes. Well, on a panel for the envied seat of Queen for a Day on one episode uh, sat four women. Uh, Jewel Ellis, Carol Williams, Clarice Singer, and Beverly Dolan. Miss Ellis, or rather Mrs. Ellis, had come across some bad luck and needed new tires and a washing machine. Mrs. Williams' son suffered an accident that left him brain damaged and she required educational aids. Her eyes were cast down and tears poured down her face as the show's Host Jack Bailey regaled her story and the applause meter gauged her support from the audience. So he would stand next to or behind them. I don't remember which. And the audience had an opportunity to respond to what they just heard. And however, the gauge moved that would determine how popular their particular story uh, was with the listener, with the audience. Mrs. Singer's brother had been accidentally shot. She needed a specialized bed to help care for him because he would need to lie on his stomach for the rest of his life. Mrs. Dolan, she had five children Under the age of three, and a gaping hole in her ceiling she needed fixed before winter. How do you choose from among those very serious needs? Well, based off the applause meter, Mrs. Singer won the coveted title Queen for a Day. She was whisked away uh, to an extravagant throne, she was given a furry cloak. Uh, A giant bouquet of roses and, of course, a crown was placed atop her classic 1950s poof. Well, in addition to the uh, mechanical cot uh, her paralyzed brother needed, Mrs. Singer was awarded a number of household items because that's what every woman wanted was household items at the time, including a dinette set, a portable tape recorder, four-poster bed, washer and dryer set, and a classy wardrobe. We know how you women are. The host would say, we know how you women are. You like to see things out for yourself. Well, he then informed her that the show would pay for her to fly to Tennessee to visit her disabled brother whenever she pleased. Queen for a day, the classy version of reality TV, leaving uh, the three contestants with some serious needs unspoken for. Kind of a sad situation. 32 minutes after five o'clock. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back thirty six minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. All right, uh, I don't want to start with that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Oh, here's an interesting story. As we are uh, rounding the corner in August, anticipating September, and you know what happens then? School starts. It resumes. A professor is allowing students to choose their own grades. In order to reduce their stress, why bother judging their work on its merits? They're gonna feel better. Isn't that what's really important when they're applying for a job and uh, they hold a position where perhaps the lives of others depend on their? Qualifications. I feel a lot better knowing they weren't stressed out with grades. A professor at the University of Georgia reportedly allows its, uh, his students to choose their own grades as part of a stress reduction policy. According to an article in the College Fix Computing Instructor Rick Watson, he allows his students at the school's Terry College of Business to pick their grades because emotional reactions to stressful situations can have profound consequences for all involved. There's nothing really resembling that in the workplace. We we work here at a nice place to work, but I, you know, I, I would feel a whole lot better if I made a whole lot of more money. Do you think if I went into uh, Dennis Hayes' office, who's the general manager, and I told him, look, I'd be under a lot less stress if I worked fewer hours and made twice the salary, that he would simply say, for the sake of reducing your stress, absolutely.
3: He might let you go. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'd have even less stress than that. Uh, Where do they prepare for the real world if, um, anyway, if you feel unduly stressed by a grade for any accessible material or the overall course, you can email the instructor indicating what grade you think is appropriate, and it will be so changed. Whether or not it reflects your actual work doesn't matter. No explanation is required, he says. The classroom rule under the course's stress reduction policy states Um, What's more, the Fix also notes that Watson, the professor, takes pride in testing for only low-level mastery of the course material on the exam for his data programming course and allows his students to use their books, notes, and laptops uh, to take them. I don't know why they even have to bother to take them. Just tell him how you think you might have done had you actually been tested on your skill level. And while this policy might hinder the development of a group's uh, skill and mastery of the class material, ultimately... These are your responsibility. The policy explanation states, "I will provide every opportunity for you to gain high-level mastery, but beyond that, um, you know, it's all up to you." Wow, where were these courses when I was going to school? You actually had to master the material and demonstrate that you that you uh, had.
3: And we were so stressed.
2: And there were great. somehow I survived it. I, I don't know what, what I might have done, but wow, I, that story—it seemed like it merited a Friday mention. I appreciated this when a 91-year-old woman in Thailand has earned a college degree after spending more than 10 years studying for it and has received her diploma from the country's king. Now, my guess is the academic rigor requirement to uh, gain a college degree was actually required of her at 91. And the stress related to that, uh, committing herself to studying, mastering the subject for which she very likely had to pay. Uh, Public television broadcaster Thai PBS says... Uh, The woman was granted the Bachelor of Arts degree in human and family development at the government run uh, open university just outside Bangkok. If we do not study, do not read, do not know, then we won't be able to speak and make sense, she said. Let's see. That's in Thailand. She says, if we do not study, do not read, do not know, then we will not be able to speak and make sense. I wonder if that applies to the University of Georgia. Her diploma was handed to her by King Maha, whose last name is very difficult and long. Let me spell it for you to just give you some indication. First name, V-A-J-I-R-A-L-O-N-G-K-O-R-N. Last name, B O D I N D R A D E B A Y A A V. A-R-A-N-G-K-U-N I think I've made my case. He took the throne last year. Diplomas at Thailand's public universities are traditionally handed out by members of the royal family. I am happy and honored that the king has graciously shown such limitless mercy, she said, using a phrase meant to show utmost respect for Thai royalty. She traveled with her family from their home uh, in a province some 725 kilometers or 450 miles north of Bangkok to attend that graduation ceremony. I imagine it was a stressful drive. Sometimes she felt weary because of her body. She's 91, says her son. Uh, But we are her children. We tried to cheer her on and mom studied until the end and it was a success. Studied until the end and it was a success. Well, the Open University, which has courses catering to the elderly, this year had 199 students who were over 60. Yes, that qualifies as elderly. Uh, It offers part-time and remote learning. For the elderly, we focus on uh, practicality rather than the academic aspect, says the professor, acting dean of the university, so the subject can be studied and put to use immediately. So congratulations to this 91-year-old who um, studied and got her diploma handed to her by the king. Well, a Florida man who noticed the toilet in his family's warehouse wasn't flushing. Um, well, it wasn't flushing well. Discovered the cause. There was an iguana stuffed in the drain pipe. I'm not sure if it was going down or trying to come up. But he said he was uh, using the bathroom last week at this family's warehouse when he noticed the commode wasn't flushing well and the water was leaking out from under the bowl. Well, he used a plunger and, uh, to attempt to unclog the, uh, the bowl, uh, but he was unsuccessful. He said he enlisted the help of family members to remove the toilet so that he could uh, well look down the drain. He said he looked into the drain pipe and saw the head of an iguana looking back at him. So apparently it was coming up. A video captured uh, the incident uh, showing his uncle using a piece of rope tied to a piece of wood to fish the iguana out of the drain. He said his uncle used the makeshift leash to walk the iguana out behind the warehouse where the creature was set free. Not only was it stuck in the drain, but it survived the ordeal. You know, we've shared a number of stories involving snakes and different things coming up through the... Mm. I don't know. Well, if you're fed up with the grind of taking a bus or a bike to work every day on congested streets, here's one suggestion. In Munich, Benjamin David started swimming there instead. Now, if you're in Vancouver and you have to work in Oregon, you might consider swimming. The burly beer garden worker now packs his laptop and clothes into a waterproof bag, which he puts on his back, dons his wetsuit and slides into the river. Uh, I think it's Isar or Isar. Uh, For his journey, it is beautifully refreshing and also the fastest way, he told Reuters. I used to go by bike or bus or car or on foot and you need much longer. Today, uh, the current was quite strong and I only needed about 12 minutes, he said. However, in winter, the the river, rather, which flows near the center of the Bavarian capital, capital can get rather chilly at temperatures of about four degrees. I mostly do this in the summer, he says. I'm a bit of a wimp. Uh, But you can also do it in the winter. Uh, it, uh, you need a longer and more efficient wetsuit if you do that. That's, uh, that's dedication. And finally, it's not just hum- humans rather, who are going to be affected by the great American eclipse that's coming on the 21st. Expect animals to act strangely. Anecdotal evidence and a few scientific studies suggest that as the moon moves briefly between the sun and the earth, causing a deep twilight to fall across the land, large swaths of the animal kingdom will alter their behavior. Eclipse chasers say that they've seen songbirds go quiet, large farm animals lie down, crickets start to chirp, and chickens begin to roost. One public programs supervisor in California, Elsie Ricard, um, she recalls the eerie silence that accompanied the start of a total eclipse early in June uh, in a morning of two thousand and twelve. She was sitting on a beach with her uh, with her back to the jungle uh, and if she sa- she says, if you know anything about jungles they 're not usually quiet, but to suddenly hear all those noisy birds get quiet as the eclipse got closed, that was a powerful sensory experience. Everything you need to know about the eclipse and animals is that they will act differently. Well, when um, uh, the let's see the path of totality is where you'll see most of the uh, specific behaviors. But it happens um, in the fringes as well as uh, nightfall comes for a very short time. The animals stop and take notice. So you might want to take notice as well. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Quick look at some of our guests next week. We're going to talk with Emerson Eggerichs. Uh, he's a PhD. The book we'll be talking about before you hit send, preventing headache and heartache. You know, oftentimes people uh, will, will send something via email or some of the other social media platforms without thinking it through. This is to help people uh, think perhaps a bit more um, carefully before doing so and wreaking havoc in the wake of whatever the message happened to be. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Albert Shee. Um, The uh, book is titled Grieving a Suicide, A Loved One's Search for Comfort, Answers, and Hope. He writes uh, from experience as well as... From a biblical point of view, Albert She will be our guest on Tuesday. Uh, on Thursday, Dee Breston will join us. He Calls You Beautiful is the title of the book, Hearing the Voice of Jesus in the Song of Songs. Uh, the book is published by Multnomah. She'll be with us uh, on um, Thursday. So those are some of the guests coming up for next week. Well, the best summertime meteor shower, the Perseids, uh, will be coming to the sky somewhere near you, weather permitting. And that's always a big if here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, despite what the media has been saying, and there have been wild media reports about this thing being the brightest meteor shower in human history, NASA says eh, not so much. Uh, Higher than usual rates of about 150 meteors per hour are expected this year, but the increased number will be canceled out by the bright moon, the light of which uh, will wash out the fainter, per sedes. The NASA meteor expert Bill Cook says, Well, the peak time for the shower is expected on the nights of April, or rather August the 11th and the 12th, according to Space.com. The moon's going to be about three-quarters full then, so again, that brightness is going to offset the bright meteor shower. Uh, We're being uh, told that the best viewing will be at around midnight both nights and away from city lights. You're going to have to move away from the metro area to fully appreciate them. Uh, They expect the view will be limited in Portland due to uh, uh, late evening moonrise haze and clouds. So uh, while it's going to be spectacular... We're not going to be able to enjoy it here in the metro area quite so much. At best, a typical per se meteor shower uh, produces about 80 to a few hundred meteors per hour. The best uh, performance we know of occurred in 1993 when the peak rate topped 300 meteors per hour. Uh, last year, an outburst of over 200 per hour occurred. Um, the Leonid uh, meteor storm, which occurred each or rather occurs uh, each November of the uh, uh, late 1990s and early 2000s, were much more spectacular and had rates of 10 times greater than that of the best, per se, uh, display. So I think people get a little carried away. We've got an eclipse coming, and therefore everything else around it has to be considered more spectacular than uh, than ever. That's not going to be the case, but it's still going to be pretty amazing to watch if you are at a vantage point where the moon does not uh, make that impossible. The greatest meteor shower in U.S. history occurred uh, with the Leonids on November the 12th, 1833, with 20 to 30 meteors per second. So that was uh, probably difficult to miss. And because we're talking about 1833, there weren't a lot of lights uh, making it difficult to appreciate on the ground. And who knows what the moon was like on that uh, date back then. Well, what's best about the Perseids is that they can be enjoyed during summer's uh, warmth. Uh, I know Dan Rice and I have gone uh, meteor and star watching in the... Uh, In the fall and winter, and it's not very much fun, let me tell you. Uh, Often uh, these cold nights during the Leonids of November um, and in December, another uh, meteor shower. Uh, This is a major shower. It takes place during the lazy, hazy days of summer uh, when many families are on vacation and oftentimes in places where uh, those showers can be better appreciated. Well, this particular meteor shower occurs every year when the earth passes through the clouds of debris left by Comet Swift-Tuttle. The meteors are actually uh, tiny dust and particles from the, the tail of the comet as it orbits around the sun. Well, the particles, um, many no bigger than a grain of sand or a pea, blast across the sky at 132,000 miles per hour. They disintegrate high up in the atmosphere after making a brilliant flash, uh, flash of light. Meteor showers are uh, named for the constellation out of which they appear uh, to come, um, the American Meteor Society tells us, look for the constellation Perseus in the northeastern part, uh, portion of the sky. And we're talking again about next week. It's just the left of the, uh, uh Pleiades and Seven Sisters constellation. So keep an eye open for that. No special equipment is needed to enjoy a nighttime spectacle, of course. Just a dark sky, some patience, few clouds and, uh, Hopefully the moon won't make it too uh, difficult to appreciate what's happening. Remember, your eyes can take a, as long as 20 minutes to truly adapt to the dark night. Uh, so don't rush the process. Start a little early and plan on, you know, standing around looking up for a period of time to uh, enjoy them. Again, we're talking about um, the 11th and the 12th. Um, you can expect the uh, that's the peak time for the shower, the meteor shower uh, coming up in just a couple of days. What is today? The the the. What is today? Today is the eleventh. We're talking about tonight and tomorrow night. Are you going to check that out, Clark? No, me neither. I need a neck brace to kind of hold my head in a particular place. But it is amazing when you happen to catch um, a show in the night sky. And living in the heart of the city, we don't see much of what's happening there. My husband, several years ago, I gave him high-powered. Um, but not binoculars, high powered, um, telescope. And so we can set that up in the backyard and, and that can give you a pretty spectacular view. We vacationed in Hawaii, uh, for our 30th anniversary. So that was about five years ago. And one of the activities we did was we went to an astronomer's, um, home and he has this amazing set of telescopes. Some were as big around as my waist. Uh, so they were, they were pretty big. Um, it was amazing to, <laughs> Clark couldn't take that one. Actually, they were much bigger than that, but it made for good humor on a Friday. Uh, anyway, um, the the ceiling literally uh, moved away. It was uh, it was a uh, uh, like a garage, but he had somehow made it possible for the entire roof to just slide to one side, and so the the open sky. We're in Hawaii. It's a beautiful night, and he has three or four telescopes, and you arrange to to come on some. Evening, and we stood there and watched the night sky, and he was able to identify everything that was there. That was absolutely fascinating. And so, when you have the opportunity to look up and see what's going on uh, overhead, it's always a a thrilling uh, activity. So, anyway, if you uh, are so inclined tonight and tomorrow night, I can't believe it's already the 11th of August. It seems to me we just, um, a few days ago, it was just the start of the new year, and here we are already in August. How many weeks? Until Christmas, I wonder aloud. So that's coming up. And of course, the eclipse is uh, is uh, coming up as well on the 21st. Uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, that it's uh, not just humans who are going to be affected by the great American eclipse coming on the 21st. You can expect animals to act strangely. And if you didn't have an opportunity to hear what they're telling us about that, that was in the previous segment. You can always check it out on the podcast. So um, kind of an interesting thing to consider how it impacts Uh, Other creatures on the planet uh, besides ourselves. So something interesting to consider. Again, on Monday, we're going to talk with Emerson Egerix. Dr. Egerix is the author of Before You Hit Send, uh, offering some advice, not just for kids. We tend to think, well, they're the ones who would you know mouth off online and social media and then perhaps regret it when they see the fallout but many adults do the same it's amazing to me people that i know fairly well i i know how they communicate i know something of their character and sometimes what turns up on facebook which is just about the only social media i uh frequent from time to time i'm amazed at what's what's being said what's being posted what images are are on there anyway we're going to talk about how to consider ahead of time um what uh what you might Want to reconsider? Again, the book before you hit send, Preventing Headache and Heartache. All right. Well, I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I want to remind you that if you are planning on purchasing Singing Christmas Tree tickets, you have until the 14th, uh, to enjoy the, the discount, uh, the, the least expensive tickets that you will find for the 2017 season of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, which happens to be the 55th year. So if you're planning on going or even thinking about it, uh, this is an excellent opportunity for you, uh, to enjoy a discount. We gave away our last pair of uh, family four-packs earlier today. But tickets for the Singing Christmas Tree range from $20 to $60. And you can enjoy a discount off those prices. Go to singingchristmastree.org. All right, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show
1: podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice show and like us on Facebook.